I've never almost cried during a podcast, but Michelle's story is kind of ridiculous and inspirational, motivational, eye-opening. And I think it's it's uh, just what this podcast needed. I'm always, always all about providing value, helping you along your journey. But uh, she went through some severe uh, life events that had her transition, which, which is a lot about um, what this podcast is designed to do is to help you through uh, your transition, your personal, whether it's uh, professional, whether it's military, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's what it is. And, and when I am able to find guests like this, um, I know no matter how many people listen, no matter how many downloads, that good has been put out into the earth. And that's why I do it. So I'd love for you to listen to this story. And yes, it's about grit. Yes, it's about resiliency. But you can't listen to a story like this and the way she talks and the emotion in which she talks with without realizing that this is someone who is just in tune with the world at a level that we all aspire to be at. Here we go. All right, everyone, the intro is done. I promised Michelle, like I do all my guests, that I'm not going to make them sit through me reading a bio about them. Uh, We're just going to get right into it. But welcome back to the Leadership Locker. I'm actually very, very happy because I think you're actually the first military spouse I've had on, which is not, uh, not out of uh, choice, of course. It just, it just, I just never really thought about it. But we have a great story on our hands. But I'm going to allow Michelle to introduce herself uh, briefly here, and then we're going to get right into some great, great podcasting. Well, as Rich said, I am a military spouse. I was also a military brat, and what I do is I help mid managers to executives who realize they don't know what the heck they're doing or coming out of the military and doing, why am I here? And I help them stop apologizing for what they didn't become or what they thought they were supposed to be and step into who they really are and what they wanted to be and be unapologetic about it. You said in our, uh, we, we kind of did like a just introductory phone call, which I usually don't get have those done. And I'm really glad that we did. But you you said very specifically, that you help people do what they want to do. Let's first talk about why people do things that they don't want to do. And I don't mean just to pay the bills. I mean, what is it that keeps people where they are, unfulfilled, unhappy, meandering and wondering, like I used to, like, is this it? At night, I would be like, is this it? And we're going to get into some good stories, but what, what, what is the first thing you can say about why people do what they don't want to do? We're programmed. I mean, that's really it. For me, an example, my family is full of engineers and architects. It was, that's what you're going to do. Engineering, architect, or military. You choose one of the three. There are no other choices. Well, I made it into the academy and went, I don't know if I want to be a pilot, but I do want to be a pilot. And I couldn't decide. And then they said, you're going to have to cut all your hair. And I'm like, I don't want to cut my hair. So I didn't even go to the academy. Okay, something that simple. But then I went into engineering. And I didn't really want to be an engineer, but I did it because I could. And because I could, I stayed and I I kept working on it. Why? Because I spent so much money in it that I didn't know how to get out of it. So think about how many of your your audience is sitting there doing, I put so much effort into this. I have to do this because this is why I committed it when I was 16. 
really? How many great decisions did you make at 16? And then we lock our lives at that. And then we stay. And then we wonder why we're not happy when we hit our 40s and our 50s and do, what did I do with my life? Because we made a life change at 16 and stuck with it. At 16, you couldn't even decide what kind of ice cream you wanted. But we make life choices. And then we, we push ourselves and do, I have to stay here because this is where I put everything. This is where I put all my, my eggs in all of this basket. And it's like, no, you can evolve. You can grow. You can change. Just like while we're in the military, we, we evolve. We get you know, OPRs and EPRs. We're growing to the next level. Grow out of it. Grow into something else, something that you enjoy. We are not bound by our decisions at 16. So, Michelle, I, I get that. But I would be lying if I said, let's say I was training for an Ironman or something like that. And then I just decided, I don't know, something precluded me from doing it. Like that feeling of the sacrifice of time, which I think we all really relish in one way or another is very difficult to swallow. And you said the investment. Now, there's a financial investment. There's a brain investment because you're committing things to memory that you may never freaking use in your life. And then there's the time commitment and the time investment. And that just hurts. And it's almost like, well, I can't let it be for nothing. So yeah, I get what Michelle's saying, but I can't go be a broadcast journalist because that's what's calling my name. Or can you? Why not? Okay, so here's my thing. I talk from my life lessons. You've got to think, I went through engineering. I went into marketing management. I'm a quality systems analyst. I'm a Baldridge examiner, okay? I ran political campaigns. I wrote speeches for candidates, and they won, and it was great. Then I got hit in the head. I was in a car accident, and I lost everything. If I kept the mentality that I must stay with all the things I committed to and I must be there, I'd be one miserable son of a gun. I have a TBI. I cannot get that information back. And if I worried about what I invested in those past 46 years of my life, I would not move. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They get stuck because they say, I can't do what I've been doing. The mental shift that I had, that's why I called my podcast this, was my past truly doesn't define me. It doesn't matter. You know, people say that for traumatic events, but I'm saying for your life, take everything you've learned that you've wanted to keep and apply it to something new. My background has nothing to do with being an international speaker. Okay. It just doesn't. I'm a coach. It has nothing to do, but what it does is I pulled all the people skills every time I spoke in front of you know the spouse groups and things of that nature. And I pulled it and I used all the pieces I liked and remembered and used it to recreate me. I believe we can always recreate ourselves. We are not molded in a cast. If you were training for an Ironman and for some reason didn't get to go. So let's say like with me, I'm running, running, running. I'm a bodybuilder. Everything's great. I get sick and I can't do it anymore. What can I do? with what I've learned and reapply it to something else. Well, all of my discipline, I've reapplied it to how I work my new business. All of my, my people skills, I reapply. I mean, you just reapply it. We all learn things for a reason. It's not necessarily for the box we learned it in. I believe we're learning it so that we can make a whole new creation. And most of the time it's mosaic. Let's talk about the accident. And I know you talked about it. That's why I know I can ask about it. But, you know, the takeaway, if anyone not 
track on on that. It's a terrible accident that involved a TBI, which we're about to get into, derailed much of Michelle's life. And we are thinking that if I stay in this job, that's going to derail my life. If I stay at this school, getting this degree, and or if, if I choose to leave, that might derail my life. We're about to hear a story about how life can really change and it might change your perspective. So Michelle, if you could talk to us a little bit about that and, and kind of the result, you know, I, I know you hit on it a little bit already, but if you could bless us with that story, please. <laughs> well, in 2014, I thought I was on the top of my game. I'm running political campaigns. I'm writing speeches. All my people are winning. I mean, I am game on. And I went to go pick up my kids from school. That was it. Came around a corner. A little girl ran the stop sign. She was skipping the last day. And uh, he boned me. I thought I was fine. Got up. Thought I was fine. I'm a tough lady, you know. I'm a military spouse. I can do anything. You give me anything, I can do it. You know, so I jump out of the car to go take care of her. And apparently I passed out again. I did not know the airbag had gone off. And that thing hit you really hard. I am five foot nothing. And uh, it hit me hard. And it whiplashed me in the car. So basically... I thought it was fine. I refused to go to the hospital. My husband made me go to the hospital. Come out of it 12 days later. After the doctor said, I'm perfectly fine. I have a broken rib and maybe a hurt ankle. I did really well. I stopped talking. And then I stopped walking. And then if I did talk, it was first thing in the morning. It was fragmented sentences. And then I would just blank out about one o'clock. I had no sense of time. And we went, brought me back to the doc. And they said, she's fine. There's nothing wrong with her brain. And my husband's like, this isn't her. They said, no, it's just a mild concussion. Just let her rest. Well, months go by. And to me, it's seconds. It's seconds. I don't realize that it's been months. And when he brings me back, they said, no, no, she's fine. And he's like, no, she's not. And he said, well, no, she's, she's testing well. I'm testing well in the morning. And what they found was I was testing at a ninth grade level. I was working on my doctorate. And so when they realized I was working on my doctorate, they're like, Okay, something is wrong with her. And so they started testing me at the Wounded Warrior Center at Fort Carson. And they went, oh, she's got like major damage in her brain. And that's where my journey begins. I was incapacitated sitting on a couch with my husband taking care of me 24-7 because I couldn't even move on my own without falling. So I lost my frontal lobe, the back of my head that messed with my balance, the left over my left ear, which removed a lot of my memories. And then uh, my two hemispheres had disconnected. It didn't show on the scans when they first did my, um, they checked me out after the accident. So 24 months later, I've been trapped in my head, reevaluating my life. See, I could still think. I just couldn't articulate and I couldn't write. I couldn't get it out of me. So I was trapped. It was the most miserable experience of my life. And I made a decision. If I made it out of this, if I could walk again, I would not waste my time again. I would not waste my days. I would be very intentional about what I did with my world. And then I started walking and talking again. I had to live up to my promise. And so it's like, okay, well, I can't regret what I can't remember. I can't look back and mourn what I really don't remember. So I just look forward and said, okay, the new me, unapologetically me, what do I really want to do? I told my husband, what did I do? He said, you used to run political campaigns. You were a big Toastmaster person. You, you did this, you did that, you did that. I'm like, not a freaking clue. <laughs> I don't remember. I remembered my immediate family. 
So I move forward as the new me. And that's why I tell people, you can reinvent yourself at any time. If I can reinvent myself without past memories, you can reinvent yourself with the memories. Michelle, you know, something that keeps popping up in my mind is, is trying to imagine, um, you know, the kind of support you needed, uh, obviously, which was kind of around the clock and, and for you to essentially have no choice but to sit with your thoughts. Why is it with all the people that you have helped and inspired and motivated by speaking across the world and reinventing yourself more than once, because we'll get into the second thing, why is it that it takes tragedy, that catastrophe for us to wake fuck up and be like, I cannot waste this life? We're stubborn. You know, you've taken those personality tests, right? And they do, well, there's that high D or that high blah, blah, blah. I think we all have it. We are human and we have to do what we do, period. Don't tell me what to do. Or as I like to say in, in my, my sessions, have you seen Finding Nemo? We all have a Nemo inside of us when someone says, don't touch that boat. I'm going to touch the boat. I'm going to touch it. Don't you tell me not to do it. I mean, it's almost that little rebellious kid inside of you. You tell me not to do it. Oh, I guarantee you I'm going to do it. And, and I think that's what it is, is we fight. And, and so when we, it takes us something major, like with me, I had to have a car hit me to make me realize that I wasn't living my life. And so that's why people like me who go around the world and share our stories. It's like, if you can just recognize when you're going down, you're, you're falling. If you could just stop about my point so you don't hit the ground and learn from my mistake. And as you're hitting, do, wait a minute. I heard that story from that lady, Michelle, about blah, 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 that she got up and, and stop before you hit the ground. I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, 10,000 feet, you know, and maybe realize where you are. But we're so stubborn as humans. We, For some reason, we want to experience the pain for the transformation. And my goal is to help people realize you don't have to feel the full pain. If you can just imagine what it will be, what it will happen when whatever happens, X happens, and realize no matter how hard you hit, you can bounce. You can get back up. You can learn from it. And really, it's Go ahead, fail. Fail often. Hit hard. But learn well. It's just human nature. We like to fall. It's like when we're learning to walk. You've got little baby girls. When they're, when they're crawling, right? They're like moving like little. But when they stand up, they're like, hmm, if I move my foot, now let's see. One foot. Ooh, boom. Right? But what do they do? They roll back up, crawl, stand up and come back up again. It's human nature to fall and get up. And somewhere in our teen years, we fall and went, I don't want to get up. People are going to laugh at me. Screw what people say. Let them laugh at you. Get back up. Michelle, what if you don't realize you're free falling? What if you don't realize this isn't where I need to be? You might have kind of, you know, a, a covert sense inside that, that something's not exactly right, but you don't realize you're on the wrong path. And one thing I always like to say is no matter how far down the wrong path you've gone, you could always turn around. But what if you just don't even realize that's not where you're supposed to be? How can people reflect? What are some signals that they could look at to be like, something's not right? My biggest signal is if you wake up and do, God, I hate today. Something's wrong. <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> right? 
I mean, I wake up every morning to, yes, I woke up. When? I mean, if you wake up regretting every day or every, actually the bigger one is my husband said when I worked in politics, I would have this great morning and I'd go off to work. And as I'm walking out the door, I do, oh, it's going to be another hell day. And he said my, all my energy would just go. I mean, we'd work out in the morning, so I'd be all pumped up. And then I'd go out that door and do, oh, I'm going to be working with a lot of stupid today. And he says, why are you doing this? Because it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm really good at it. And I'm so glad I got hit by that car because I truly believe that was where I was supposed to be. I thought my goal in life was to be miserable so I can get the right people in the office so that the world would be a better place. I was willing to make that sacrifice. If you wake up and you're going to wherever you're going and you, your gut says, I'd rather throw up and eat nails than go here, you need to reevaluate your life. Hey everyone, just a reminder that Rich Cardona Media is the sponsor of this podcast. And this year has just been on fire already. Uh, we've launched five podcasts for personnel, including doing video work for them. Um, Eliza's in talks to do some publishing launches for some aspiring authors and a couple authors. Uh, so things are just moving right along. Um, definitely reach out to us if you have any questions uh, about video content creation that we could assist with. Uh, if you have a book launch that you are trying to just wrap your arms around and you have nowhere to start or Obviously, if you have a podcast that you're looking to stand up, uh, we can take care of all of it, all of it, and then just hand it off so you can do it effectively on your own. Reach out rich at richcardonamedia.com or Eliza at richcardonamedia.com. Let's get back to Michelle. So I don't know why, but people used to think I was crazy when I talked about how in tune I felt with my gut instinct. Like when you know, you know, and I still can't get over the fact that people dismiss it, that people don't pay attention to. One of my good friends, a great podcaster named Kelsey Murphy, she goes, it's like you're, you're like, it's like you're made of strings and it's like, there's things tugging on those strings. It's like, you know, it's, it's a light enough to notice, but not hard enough to, to necessarily take necessarily take action on it. And it's just, I am a firm believer that I know what's best for me, and I think you do too, but we, we oftentimes dismiss it because maybe the positive feedback is what we need to feel validated and to justify whatever it is we're doing. What would you say about people that are encouraged? And I'm glad you mentioned your husband saying, why are you doing this? But what if your husband's like, don't worry, honey. Like you're killing it. You're going to help get Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're switching a little bit you know you're on the wrong path. You wake up and you're like, this sucks. Or you wake up happy and then you walk out the door and then you're like, this sucks. But everyone around you is being like, you're killing it. Yeah. What do you do then? Well, I tell my clients this, shut up. And I do what? I do, you need to learn to shut up. I want you to go sit in a dark room and get comfortable with being with your heartbeat. Why? I mean, how, how productive is that? I do your gut is screaming, but you are moving so fast and you're hearing so much crap from the outside that you can't hear what your soul is telling you. Your instinct is telling you, shut up, go sit in a room. And I want you to listen to nothing but maybe the clock on the wall and let your thoughts go away and then bring in one thought. 
do I want to be where I am? And sit there. Let it just do. Because we are moving in such a way in our world that we let the outside, it's like we're a leaf on a current. And we just let the current take us wherever we are. And it's like, no, you aren't the leaf. You're the current. You are the water. You can decide if you want to go over, around, or through a rock that's in your way. You're not the leaf that is carelessly and wistfully just going with the world. You can choose. You can move. I love that. And I, I will have to say to the audience from personal experience that that journey to being comfortable in your own skin, being comfortable in silence, which is excruciating for me, is a journey that is well worth, just beyond well worth it. It's like a little mini liberation that took place inside. And then I just really stopped caring about anyone's anything. Uh, and, and I mean, this is going to sound super insane, but like, I know how much effort it takes to optimize my life and my well-being to make me a good entrepreneur, a great dad or, or a, you know, an husband and whatever. But sometimes that even means like I can't let some of the family things penetrate to a scale where it's going to derail me. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's because I've done, I put in that work, right? I put in that work to understand myself at a level. So Michelle, one would think right here, 23 minutes in that it's like, oh, you know, great story and, and whatever. And she overcame some serious, serious setbacks, but it wasn't over. And um, unfortunately, but maybe fortunately for the listeners, uh, they are going to learn again from you uh, about how to overcome and how to reinvent yourself. And can you tell us what took place uh, in which you had to reinvent yourself again? Okay, well, I've got to touch back into that whole not being able to walk or talk for 24 months-ish. Because yeah. think about when you were learning to be quiet with yourself. I was forced to be quiet with myself for over 24 months. I spoke with every inner critic, learned every backstory. I mean, I know them so well, I wrote a book about them, okay? And so, it's called It's Not Luck Overcoming You. But really, it's you, you get so in tune. Now, this is why I have to start there. I got so in tune with myself, I could feel when I was getting sick. I could feel when something was off. I could feel when I was about to, you know, strain something. It was bizarre how in tune I was. I could see the lights coming off the computer. I'm pretty sure that was the TBI. But I was really sensitive to everything. And about six months after I started walking and talking again on my own, I just knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. And I went to the doc and I said, something's wrong with me. I'm... I'm I have this feeling I'm dying. And they said, no, that's your TBI. Go away. Came back 30, you know, you know, the military, how long it <laughs> oh, takes yeah. to get to a doctor. So 30 days later, I come back and I said, no, something's seriously wrong. I'm having nightmares of dying. And they said, no, it's your TBI playing with you. Here's some volume, go home. And I said, no, you've got to run tests on me. I'm telling you something is seriously wrong. And I think it's my chest. And they said, no. I said, I think I have breast cancer. They said, no, you can't feel breast cancer. I do. I'm telling you, I'm feeling something. So they run all the tests and they say, I'm perfectly fine. Now I come back and they won't let me see a doc. I only see a nurse practitioner every 30 days. I come back and I say the same thing to the same practitioner. I'm dying. You've got to help me. Something's wrong. So for six months, 
I come back every freaking 30 days to tell them, I think I'm done. And every 30 days they say, you need to stay off the internet. And when your husband's deployed, women tend to get a little stressed out. Oh my God. <laughs> you do not know the plight of the military spouse. Okay. Because they, they wrote me off as an idiot who didn't know my own emotions. And I said, listen, my, I've been married to this man for 20 some odd years. We've been military the entire time. And I'm a military brat. Okay. I am not a hypochondriac. I am not here because I'm stressed out about my husband being gone. He's been more de deployed longer than you've been alive. I'm dying. Send me to someone who knows what's going on. Well, I'm deploying for a little bit. And when I come back, um, if you're still having this problem, then maybe I'll send you to the doctor. So I learned that day that I'm a liar. I'm a liar. I'm a good one. I waited for the day she told me she was going to deploy. I was really nice. Oh, what day are you going to deploy? Oh, really? That sounds like a really great place. Oh, da, 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 da. what day is that again? The day of her deployment, I called and said, she was really excited about that deployment. Oh, yeah, she was. She was out of dust. Yeah. But she never put in my referral for the specialist. I lied straight out because I knew I was dying. And they said, oh, we're so sorry. We missed you. Okay. Where do you need to go? And da, da, da. there's no notes in here. So they sent me to the doctor. I go to the doc on October 31st. And she says, I don't know why you're here. I'm a skin doctor, not a dress doctor. And I said, I didn't know who else to ask for. It was the first thing that popped in my mind, but I know I'm dying. There's something. Please look at me and tell me what's going on. And she says, I'll look because you, took, you went through so much effort to come see me. She leaves. I put on the robe. My daughter puts on the robe because I can't feel the whole right side of my body. No. And my daughter helps me get this robe on. You know, those heavy military hospital robes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, doc comes in and I haven't closed the robe because it hurts so much. I can't close it. She walks in the door and before the door even shuts behind her, she says, oh, dear God, you have cancer. I've been seeing a nurse practitioner for six months who told me I had dry skin. The door shuts and I'm crying. And she says, I'm so sorry I told you I had cancer that way. I said, no, I'm not crying because I have cancer. I knew I had cancer. I'm crying because someone finally listened to me. You've got to save me. And she says, we'll, we'll get this. We'll get this through. We'll, we'll help you. And she says, people who get diagnosed with this die within 12 months of diagnosis. And I said, then we, then we need to hurry up. And she said, why? I said, because I recognized this eight months ago. The Air Force Academy saved my life. They moved me so fast. It, it was incredible. Within 60 days, I had a double mastectomy and I was on the road to recovery. I mean, I'm still on the road to recovery, but at least they got the monster off quickly. And so, yes, I have now a breast cancer patient with a brain injury. <laughs> but I still think the brain injury saved my life. If it wasn't for the brain injury, I wouldn't have been so hypersensitive to realize something was going on in my body. And I would have listened to that nurse practitioner that I had dry skin in Colorado. But I knew. The breast cancer, on the other hand, what we didn't tell you out there is when I was stuck in my body for 24 months, what happens to an active body that stops moving? What happens to an active body that stops moving and eats comfort food? <laughs> if you see my TEDx that I did between my brain injury and my breast cancer, I'm over 380 pounds. I lost it. So here's another thing about recovery and overcoming. If you're out there saying you need to lose five pounds or I got to drop 10 pounds and I, 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 but I can't, I can't, I can't. I dropped two humans 
you can drop 20 pounds. <laughs> it's all about dedication. It's all about mindset and what you're really willing to sacrifice. I was willing to sacrifice things that I thought were comfortable and easy to do the hard things so I can get back to health. Why did I need health? Because I needed to save my body from the cancer. My cancer was going to kill me if I didn't give my body the food it needed, the health it needed, the energy it needed to fight. So I had to get better. There was no choice. It was either die or get healthier. Healthier. What did you learn the second time around mentally after having essentially climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and overcoming the TBI? And then here you are, you've survived. It was instinctual. I mean, I would even venture to say it was spiritual. Only you. You were the only person on earth that knew that here you were. Did you, I'm not sure how I'm asking this the right way, but did you say, I'm going to kick the shit out of this cancer? Or were you like, this might be it? This might be it. And I actually still say this might be it. I'm still a cancer patient. So what I do is I'm a very happy lady. It's because I know my days are numbered. All of us. Our days are numbered. So I see it as an advantage that I know the possibility of what may kill me. I could walk outside and get hit by a car too. But my thing is, is I'm never going to have my day not be the best day. I'm not going to leave this planet on a fluke like I almost did a couple of times now. Not being intentional about my day and letting people know I care and, you know, showing the people that I love that I love them and just giving my all. I am not going to dwell in my pain and what could be in the woulda, coulda, shouldas when I could be smiling and enjoying the sunshine and you know playing in the snow. And so what I've learned about myself in both of these major incidences, and there's more in between I won't talk about, the first incidence was brain injury. I must be intentional with my world. I must be intentional with my life. The next major thing with the cancer, I realized, although I made that decision to be intentional, I hadn't. So when you meet people who say, oh, I'm enlightened, I've got this, and da-da-da-da-da, I always smile and do, well, that was the first round. The first round of enlightenment, you realize that you need enlightenment. The second round is, oh, I didn't go, in, I didn't go far enough. <laughs> There's another level of where when things stop bothering you at all. When you realize that, uh, I like to say the Byron Katie quote, when you realize truly that there are three types of business in this world, there is your business, there is the other person's business, and then there's God and the universe's business. And if you still walk out or listen to something and get all upset, you ain't there yet. If the world outside of your body can still upset you, you've got a little bit more growing to do because... Once you realize that you are controlling everything that comes into your head, you are controlling how you react to everything that comes into your mind. Until you realize that, you've got growing to do. So guess what? You're human. Congratulations. <laughs> what would you say to the people who necessarily maybe had a good upbringing, maybe had a good academic career and they're not spiteful about it, you know, and then their job, you know, it, it's it's going okay. And it, it's not necessarily everything they, they wanted it to be, but maybe they just feel out of touch in, in terms of, uh, you know, 
that that kind of gratefulness that you're talking about. Uh, you know, there's a podcast I had not long ago with a gentleman um, named JP McCormick. He's a uh, the CEO of Scribe oh, Media. Yes. Yeah, you know him. So he says, when I turn on the lights every day, I'm like, I have electricity, you know. But he also came from a, a kind of a tumultuous upbringing. So your example, his example, these are, I don't want to say extreme, but these are maybe unique circumstances. But what if someone is doing just fine, but maybe they're just not exercising their ability to be grateful on a daily basis? How can they start small and kind of just maybe build a little bit of momentum to just be a little bit more carefree, be a little bit optimistic, wake up with a smile, leave for work with a smile? Yeah, I just want to let it go, let it go. Yes. So I meet a lot of people who's that's their big problem. My life was great. I had a wonderful childhood. My job is great, but I feel empty. And I said, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Gratefulness starts with knowing you're inside. I mean, everything can be wonderful, but if you're not in tune with who you are and why you are, once you're there, you think, I can breathe. Isn't that wonderful? I can see. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, seriously, before I get out of bed, I open my eyes to, oh, I'm awake. Thank you. Oh, and there's sun. Thank you. I am so thankful for having all these little teeny tiny things. And what I ask my clients to do is when you can't find something that you're grateful for because you have everything already, but you can't find the small things, you have to focus on the small things. I want you to look in the mirror and say, you know what? Yeah, that bump on my head. I kind of like that bump on my head. It makes me very unique. You know, things like that. You know, uh, my left ear is a little lower than the old one. That's okay because it's okay because it keeps my head. I can stand like this and still look balanced. You know, whatever it is that makes you laugh at yourself, we do need to have humor about ourselves. But to be appreciative of having skin, to have the sight, to be able to speak, to have the ability to have a job, to be so grateful that you did have a great life because it. For those of us who didn't have a fantastic backstory, we are so in awe with people who have a wonderful backstory. I mean, my husband, I swear when I met him in high school, we met in the Philippines, we we're both military brat. I, I met him and thought, the Brady Bunch is real? Here's a story of a lovely lady. I'm like, what the heck? People are like so happy and they get along. So I met someone who had a life polar opposite of mine. And so when we talk and we, I build my stories that I share on stage, I take in consideration of the fact that he has no clue of what I went through. And he's a healthy military guy. Well, retired military guy. He never had an, a pain, you know. Well, he's had pain, but you know what I mean? Never broke a bone for anything, you know. So... I I look at his perspectives when I tell my story so that I can integrate the fact that if you had a wonderful life, be proud of that life. Do not apologize for that life because those of us who didn't have that wish we had it to a point. I don't want that life because I know the things I went through were because I could go through them and I could teach it. I had the will to go on stage and share deep, dark secrets about my life because I don't see them as secrets. I see them as stories that need to be told. Not everyone feels that way. So if he went through that, he would not have shared this. People would not benefit from his pain. I went through pain, but I'm willing to share it because I think it's a gift that I must give back to the world so that people realize when they fall, they don't have to stay down. 
I love my life, no matter how many bumps and bruises and flashes and gashes and sewn back together and organs they've taken away from me. I love it because it made me me. And to tell people out there, no matter how your life is, if you're unhappy, it's up to you to make that choice. It's up to you to find it. And go to the University of YouTube if you have no idea what it is. Search. Your mind will say, here, let's look at this word. Yeah, let's look. Oh, this guy looks good. Oh, this person looks like a good person to listen to. And if you like it, listen. If you don't like it, stop it. Go to the next one. Find you. It all starts inside of you. It's your choice. This is one of those podcasts that, if you're listening right now, that star it, save it, screenshot it, download it. This is, especially if you're transitioning, especially if you're in the doldrums of entrepreneurship, especially if you are fully prepared to quit, especially if you feel like you are not where you need to be. Because there is somewhere where you need to be and there's somewhere that you want to be. And Michelle just gave you a masterclass on what it's like to get there. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't fun. But look at how she wakes up. So Michelle, thank you. Where can people find you, listen to you, all the goodies, uh, so that way they can consume more of your amazing energy and your amazing stories? I'm everywhere. But the best way to find me, because I have a, I have a brain injury, I have a traumatic brain injury, I make it simple. Go to my name. It's my website, michellemoross.com. I have all the icons for every social media platform, for all my YouTube, for my podcast, for my internet TV show. You can find me on my website. And then if you want to get in touch with me, go to any social media. I, you have to message me and say, hi, my name is Rich. I met you through so-and-so. Because if I think you're some crazy stalker, I'm probably not going to let you into my world. But if you say, I saw you or heard you on Rich's show, okay, click. And then you can write me. I'm very, very personable. I'm a military spouse. I'm a military brat. I love people and I love to help guide. And if I can guide you to someone who can help you better than me, even better. There's nothing left to be said. So this will conclude today's episode. Michelle, thank you so, so much uh, for taking the time to hang out with us and we will see you around. Thank you, Rich. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my guest, Michelle. She was obviously fantastic. You know the deal. If, if there's someone who could use this message today or tomorrow or whenever, I've really asked that you share it with your friends and share it with your network. And if you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast, that helps. Uh, that just helps to get pushed out a little bit further. I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in it for the downloads. I'm in it for the message, for the impact. And if you know anything about me, if you've seen me on LinkedIn, you know that is the damn truth. So if you could take a couple minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, to the Leadership Locker, scroll all the way to the bottom and rate and review, that'll be fantastic. If you have any questions, uh, definitely reach out. Michelle's information is going to be in the show notes like always. We'll see you guys next time.